All right. Um, you can turn to Deuteronomy 19, if you would. Before we read our portion here this morning, I just wanted to give some introductory remarks. We're going to be reading from the Old Testament, and so I know you guys already know this, but um, it's always good to kind of refresh and recenter that the Old Testament is really all about Jesus Christ. When you really start to see it uh, with new eyes as a Christian, it's really all about Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a believer, maybe you've never read the Old Testament, um, or maybe you've read portions of it, or if you're a new believer, you can read the Old Testament and kind of feel overwhelmed. There's a lot there. So much history, so many stories. Uh, There's poetry, there's um, wisdom teachings, there's prophecies, and it unfolds over time. And there's a lot. And there's a lot of prophecies, there's a lot of prophets, there's a lot of books in the Old Testament. But I just want to start out by reminding all of you and pointing out that the Old Testament is all about Christ. Um, Three verses on this, and I'll just read them here. You don't have to look them up. One is John 5, 39. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The Jews were always reading the Old Testament. And he says, and it is they that bear witness about me. Acts 10.43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So when you read Nahum, one of the prophets He's bearing witness that whoever believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name or any book. Um, Revelation 19.10. This is kind of a weird one. It says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I don't fully understand that, but I think in part what it means is anytime someone is truly prophesying, a true prophet, will in some way or another always be pointing to Christ. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, and there's other verses, but what these are saying is that the Old Testament is meant to point us to him. Um, God has given us, as believers, new minds and opened our eyes to see Christ. When we look back and we see a lamb we see Christ. When we see an ark, we see Christ. When we see a rock, Christ. A serpent on a pole, Christ. Manna, Christ. A seed, Christ. A leader, a shepherd, a builder, a lover, a deliverer, a prophet, a priest, a king. It's all pointing to Christ. And so this is the mystery of the ages. (laughs) This is the greatest secret. God's secret is hidden all throughout the chapters of the Old Testament. Um, As the scripture says, the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. 
And so, every chapter we read, and I want to encourage you again, as you read the Old Testament, day by day, look for Christ and listen for his voice. So my goal today, we're going to read Deuteronomy 19, just a a portion, and we're going to look at one of these pictures uh, that are symbolic and that point us to Jesus. It's the city of refuge and the high priest. So my goal is that it would encourage us as Christians um, as to our forgiveness, our safety, and our priest. And my second goal is that it would stir up the lost to trust in Jesus unto salvation. That's why I want to read this verse. So we'll read from verse 1 to verse 6, Deuteronomy 19, 1 through 6. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, Canaan, and you dispossess them, and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession, so that any manslayer, someone who's committed manslaughter, can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live lest the avenger of blood, in hot anger, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long, and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore, I command you, you shall set apart three cities. We'll stop there. Actually, there's six cities. Um, Three have already been pointed out. So before they crossed the river, On the other side of the Jordan, they had a big portion of land that they had dispossessed and taken hold of, and they had three cities there, and he's telling them, now when you go into the land, you need to set up three more. And I, I wish I was fancy enough to put this up on the projector, because it really is kind of neat to look at. I'm sure many of you have seen this, but Israel is a small country, and so if you kind of have this... I'll just make an oval shape. I know it's not oval, but if you kind of have this shape of Israel... You've got one, two, three, four, five, six. And they're all equidistant. They're spread out. Um, The point was, God wanted these cities to be places of safety, refuge, cities of refuge. And what I'm saying is, these cities of refuge are a type of Christ. They're a shadow. They're, They're pointing us, when we read this, Here now, 2,000 years later, or 4,000 years, whatever it would be, from the time of Moses, when we're reading these, it's telling us about salvation in Jesus Christ. So what we see from these verses is there's a place of safety for accidental manslaughter. 
um, lest the avenger of blood come upon them. Um, let's read one more. This is Numbers 35. I want to at least, there's a bunch of verses on the cities of refuge, but I at least want to hit on this other point before we start to apply this. Numbers 35, 28. For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. So if someone accidentally killed someone and fled to the city for refuge, he must remain there until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. So this is interesting, and we'll get to this a little farther on, but once you make it to the city, you're not just going there to clear your name. You have to live there now. You can't go outside of that city. That is your place of protection and safety. But there's something else about when the high priest dies, then you are free to go out. So we're going to talk about both of those things. But just picture in your mind, if you will, the example given to us from Deuteronomy 19. You go out with your friend, you're an Israelite, you go out with your friend Ezra or whatever to cut down wood, you swing your axe, it hits the tree, the head breaks off, slips off, and it hits your friend in the head, and he falls over dead. You didn't mean to do it. But in that day and age, in that culture, not saying this was right, but there was a sense of local justice in which customarily the family members, they took it upon themselves. If you killed my family member, I'm going to kill you. And in that setting, it was not um, expected that a person would be reasonable and would hear you out like, no, it was an accident. I did not murder him. This was an accident. And so God did something interesting. Rather than set down a law that say, you dare not retaliate for your family member's sake until you've heard the whole story, he said, instead, I'm going to make a place of refuge that someone can run to to be safe. He could have made the law on the person taking revenge, but he didn't. He made the law on the person who needed safety and refuge. And he did it, I believe, for our sake, to point us to Christ. So this is um, something we see throughout the scriptures. I think we have good warrant for taking this uh, in this way. Psalm 2, verse 12. You can look it up or listen, it's your choice. Um, Psalm 2, 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Taking refuge in the son, which from this chapter we know is the Messiah. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Same word. Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, 
a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And finally, Hebrews 6.18. Now this one's from the New Testament. Very helpful. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge or taken refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And notice verse 20 where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here we we see both things. In Hebrews it says, we Christians have fled for refuge, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. And our high priest is Jesus Christ, the high priest forever, just like they had a temporary high priest in the Old Testament. So the cities of refuge, this is for us. This is about the gospel. It's connected to the high priest. We have a better high priest. We have a better refuge. These men and these cities, now some of them may be gone. They might have fallen to ruin. But they were just shadows. Christ is the substance. And there is still a city of refuge. So, um, let's try and unpack the teaching here. First thing I want to point out, and this obviously just jumps out of the story, is the need for safety and protection from judgment. Now, we know what this is about. For them, it meant an accidental manslaughter. They had blood on their hands. It was an accident. They were actually innocent. Um... There wasn't any sin in it, but there was blood on their hands, and their life was in danger. They were in danger of falling under judgment, revenge, vengeance, and they needed safety and protection. And so, in the same way, because of sin, God's law and his justice is after every person. God is slow to anger. He doesn't bring justice right away, but it is there looming in the background. When you hear the Bible, it speaks of this, speaks of God's judgment. The wages of sin is death. And so death is inescapable. It's like hounding every person, and you don't know when you're going to die. We need a place of safety and refuge. We need a city of refuge. Christian, do you remember the moment of your awakening. I know this happens differently for different people, but when was the first time when you began to wake up and realize, like the man with blood on his hands, what have I done? What have I been doing? I'm sinful. It's dramatic. God starts to work in your heart and open your eyes, and you feel the need What should I do? Well, this brings us to the next point. Flee, run, find somewhere safe and run. It's interesting that God made the cities of refuge, and then he specifically in these verses and the other verses when you cross-reference, over and over he's saying, flee, run, 
Flee to the city of refuge. Flee means run. It doesn't mean go. It doesn't mean walk. It means run. There is an urgency. Time is short. It's like you have all, it's like all you have is a head start before news spreads and before the avenger of blood starts to come looking for you. You have a head start. In those day and age, in that day and age, I'm sure it was a blessing that there wasn't the kind of communication that we have today. Maybe they would have a few hours to start getting down the road. Maybe they go home and they say, Mom, here's what happened. I was cutting wood. What do I do? And his mom says, run, go now. Don't pack anything, just go. Go to the nearest city of refuge. And it is that same urgency for the lost to flee to Christ before it's too late before the avenger of blood overtakes you, before your time on earth is done. If you run to the city of refuge today, there is someone there, a person who can protect you. It's their city, the priests, and specifically the high priest. This is the next point. The city of refuge revolved around the high priest. Now, I know this is going to sound weird because there were six cities and only one high priest. And I love what Spurgeon said. He said, um, there's not six Christs, but Christ is everywhere. It's like his authority is over these cities and his name and who he is and his position. If you make it to his city, you're now under his protection. The high priest is there. And this comes out in two ways, as we saw in Numbers 35. The first is, as long as he's alive, you stay in that city and you're safe. If you go out, your life is in danger. Your, life is, your protection is forfeit. But if you're in the boundary of that city, you're safe. This points us to the fact that the high priest, as long as he's alive, he can represent his people. He can be their lawyer. He can be their advocate. He can stand in the middle and argue the case. If anybody tries to come against them, he can repel them and push them back. That's Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he is the better high priest, the great high priest, because he ever lives. He's the high priest that never dies. Aaron died. Eliezer died. Phineas died. All the high priests, one after another, would die. But Jesus Christ lives forever in heaven as our high priest. The Bible says, Jesus said, abide in me. Part of what that means is we remain in him. We hold fast to him and we're safe. But the second part is as our high priest, there's this curious part in Numbers 35, verse 28. It says that the person has to stay in that city as long as they live. So maybe they go there when they're 18 or they go there when they're 25. Guess what? They can never, ever leave that city, ever. So 30 years later, the high priest is still alive. They've never left the city because they've stayed there for safety. Their family could visit them, but they can't go visit their family. They can't go home. But it says when the high priest dies, he's free to go. And the blood avenger cannot take vengeance on him. At that point, he's free to go. And this is so interesting because what it's showing us is the high priest 
is taking their blood guilt upon himself so that when he dies, there's been atonement for their blood guilt. Even innocent, as the, uh, innocent though they were, that blood guilt is now gone with his death. And what's amazing to me is even the old Jewish rabbis understood this. And they wrote about it in the Talmud, their, you know, writings and their interpretations and things. Ancient. They wrote about it in the Talmud how the high priest was somehow taking their blood guilt and atoning for it himself in his death. That is amazing that Jewish rabbis saw that. They were so close to the gospel because Jesus is the true high priest. He takes our guilt He dies for our sins, and then the debt is paid. Um, There is a Scottish Presbyterian in the 1800s named John Ross Macduff, and uh, this is what he said. So, dear reader, it is the death of your great high priest that has purchased your release from spiritual captivity. The law can no longer hold you. Justice can no longer threaten you. You can go forth with the glorious liberty of a child of God, saying, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. You can picture to yourselves on the death of the Jewish high priest. He's talking about the cities of refuge now. On the death of the Jewish high priest, the Hebrew captive going forth from the city, within whose gloomy walls he had long been enclosed, you can picture him with merry heart, making the valleys through which he hurried to his native dwelling echo with songs of joy. And shall not you, with happier heart and voice, sing this song as you journey on to your heavenly home and see it gleaming in the distance on the other side of the Jordan? When from the dust of death I rise to take my mansion in the skies, this all my hope, this all my plea that Jesus lived and died for me. So this is our hope. With the death of Jesus Christ, our sins are paid. Our blood guilt is gone. Now at this point, you might be thinking of a question or even an objection that the cities of refuge, those helped people who had committed unintentional sin. But we have intentional sin, willful sin. And it's true. Um, At every point, sooner or later, everything you see in the Old Testament, the analogy will only go so far. It will break down somewhere. And so here, what we have in reality, the substance is actually much different and much better than what they had in the Old Testament. They had a city of refuge for people who accidentally did something wrong. But our city of refuge is for people who have willfully sinned. Jesus said, all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Though your sins be as scarlet, not little sins, not accidental sins, scarlet sins, they'll be as white as snow. To the harlot, Jesus said, woman, your sins are forgiven. To the swindlers, He said, today salvation has come to this house. To the murderers, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Intentional sins. 
are covered by the high priest in the city of refuge. The last thing before we run out of time, in Deuteronomy 19, verse 3, we see that it was a short distance away. So I want to have some volunteers here. I need someone with the ESV and someone with the NASB. Uh, Can someone with the ESV read Deuteronomy 19.3? Sean? Okay. You shall measure the distances. Now, what about the NASB? Volunteer? Suzanne? You shall prepare the roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God will give you as a possession. All right. Thank you. You shall prepare the roads. So I find this fascinating. I used to read the NASB. I love the NASB. And in India, I switched for practical reasons. They don't really sell them over there. Um, But I learned it as you shall prepare the roads back in the day. So when I was preparing this sermon, I thought, where's that verse? It's like disappeared into thin air. And uh, then I figured out it's you shall measure the distances in the ESV. Now, I don't know which is right, but they're both really good. So imagine... Six cities of refuge, and God says, he's giving a command now to the Jews, you better measure and make sure it's as close as you think it is. I want it close. Or he's saying, you better prepare the road. I don't want a junky old road going to the city of refuge. I want it easy and straight. And in fact, the Jews took this very seriously. Uh, Tradition says the roads to the city of refuge were 48 feet wide. For an ancient road, that's pretty wide. And they put a bridge over every stream. And they put a signpost at every turn, every crossroads, and it pointed and said, City of Refuge. (laughs) It's like they wanted to make sure no one got lost, no one got confused, no one ran out of time. The distance is short enough, it's close. And they say that no matter where you are in Israel, at most, it's half a day's journey, fast travel to get there. You've got a head start. It's not far off. The distance is short. And this really is a picture of the gospel. Like Spurgeon said, Christ is everywhere. Jesus is not far off. The word is near you, in your mouth and your heart. You believe in Jesus, that God raised him from the dead. You confess with your mouth that he's Lord and you're saved. You can be saved today. Right here, right now, in your seat, in your heart, you call on the Lord and he will save you and forgive you. The gospel is not try harder to obey. The gospel is not try to quit sinning for a year. Salvation is that God justifies the ungodly by faith. When we put our faith in him, when we trust in him. You know, as parents, we try and teach our kids what these words mean. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to trust? 
You put your trust in a person. You believe what he says. You believe who he is. You believe that he's able. And you trust him and you rest on him. And not only was the city itself close, but this was something new that I learned. Um, and I don't have time to prove it and show you all the scriptures on it. But they're in the Old Testament. That not only the city itself with its gates, but even the outskirts, the perimeter, the surrounding pasture lands are specifically marked out by God up to a certain distance, like 2,000 cubits. And that is the city. If you just make it in the outskirts, in the suburbs, you're saved. And I, I picture in my mind, you know, some old farmer that grew up in one of the cities of refuge. Maybe he's the son of a priest or he's a Levite or something. He's out farming his field. He sees some guy running by, running for his life, headed to the city gate. It's still half a mile in. And he just kind of smiles to himself. There goes another one seeking refuge. He's seen this his whole life. And then here comes the avenger of blood a short while later. And the, the old farmer stops the man and says, you're going to have to stop right there. This is, the, this is the edge of the territory, my farm. This is where Bezer starts. This is where Kadesh starts. That one that just ran by is safe. He's not even made it in the gate, but he's safe. By the law, he could not be struck down once he reaches even the outskirts. And I love this because it's the same way with Jesus Christ. Think of in the Gospels, people would just, they were so crippled they couldn't even touch him. They would just touch the fringe of his robe and they'd be healed. It's like just being in his shadow. You're close enough. You're saved. So this is God's idea. This is God's design. He wants sinners to run into the city of refuge. And um, my final application, really just restating this, is for the Christian, your high priest has died and risen again. Your sin is gone. He lives forever over you. The law has been answered for you. You're free. And for the lost, I think you know the application. You've heard it already. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if any are outside of Christ, Lord, you'd help them to see, help them to believe, help them to trust in your son and his sacrifice. Show them, Lord, convince them that there's no other way. Please be working in our midst. Let today be a day of salvation. And Father, I do pray you'd help us to treasure up your word in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We want to thank you again today for your son, for the refuge in him. Lord, help us. Um, help us to hold fast to him, to abide in him, to dwell with him. In Jesus' name, amen.